Straight from my voice to your ear canal, another episode of Self Seriously Shit. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the bonus episode for this week. I had a lot to talk about for later on this week, and I kind of wanted to break them up because the subject matter is very different. Uh, I talked mostly about my pre-release experience um, this coming Wednesday for like my normal scheduled cast. But there were a few things I wanted to get off my chest before um, they got away from me, you know? So the first thing that was basically new information to me, I had never really heard about this, um, Uber drivers being entrapped by police officers and given citations for picking up uh, strangers for money. And I don't know exactly how the law is supposed to work because I don't think it's illegal to give somebody a ride, like they give you like some gas or something. I mean, maybe that is illegal and people just do it because it's not really considered that bad. It might be similar to speeding. But about a month ago, a man in Los Angeles was entrapped by police officers and he returned to the scene and alerted another Uber driver that, hey, these are undercover police officers they're not actually uh, travelers in distress. Uh, that guy is like, thank you, drives off. And not even 10 seconds later, um, police officers in uniform and police vehicles show up. And the whole situation just stinks to high heaven. I mean, the idea that police feel the need to set up this elaborate trap to catch Uber drivers who are picking up people and giving them rides without using the app itself is like ridiculous. Like, and especially for this to be in the city of LA, like you have real crime to be out there fighting. And this idea that we need to create this trap so we can catch people who are not really hurting anybody. Like no one is being inconvenienced by an Uber driver giving a person a ride without using the app. Like, who's actually being hurt here? And the issue is that it's the government that's being hurt. They're like, you guys are making money without us, and we don't appreciate that. But look at my own experiences. I've never picked up anybody um, that wasn't using the Uber app. And, like, I've never flagged someone down and asked them, like, hey, do you need a ride or anything like that? However, I have, in the process of dropping somebody off, sometimes there will be multiple passengers and people will ask, like, hey, can you take me to X, Y, Z? And because sometimes people were not using their own Uber app, like someone else had gotten the ride, whatever the case might be, there's like, I can just give you X dollars if you take me to Y place. And usually I oblige because it's more affordable for me and for them, like it costs less than what Uber would charge them, and I make more than what Uber would pay me for me to just give them a ride. And I think that's usually the issue. Like, the government doesn't like the idea of people being able to make money without them getting their hands on it. So, another thing I wanted to point out that happened a few weeks ago that I thought was actually pretty fantastic uh, Marseille Martin became the youngest executive producer at 14 years old, which is phenomenal. Like, to be 14 years old, I mean, 
an executive producer in Hollywood is unheard of, you know, and for her to be uh, a young, you know, black woman, that's a, that's a big win. And I'm very excited. I hope that her career continues to flourish. I hope that she's able to make great movies and uh, keep pushing forward. You know, like it's only unheard of until someone does it. You know, it's only crazy until someone does it. And she decided to do the damn thing. So I'm happy for her. Uh, kudos to you. Hope everything continues to go well for you. I I'm very excited for what she has going on. I, I like her her gall, her, like her wherewithal, like the fact that she said, "Why can I not do this?" And she decided to go out there and get it. So I literally like just got a message um, from my bad little vibe about uh, this company, Cynet Systems, which. Sounds a little bit too close to Skynet. I'm already a little bit leery about this uh, company. Apparently, they had a job posting that asked for, um, was it, uh, like technicians or whatever, um, but they wanted them to be preferably Caucasian. And that's, um, ah. I mean, I guess if you're going to be racist, you might as well just put it out there. Let the public know that this is actually how you feel about everybody else. So, like, I mean, if we can't get a white guy to apply to our job, I suppose we can accept a minority of some sort. But preferably, we'd much rather have a Caucasian. And uh, I guess this is how people are, you know. So, obviously... They apologized because the entire world put them on blast, but Cynet, also known as Skynet in disguise, uh, y'all need to do better. You need to root out the type of people that do this kind of behavior. So they claim that they fired the people who created this post in the first place, but I think it speaks to something because they hired them to begin with, you know? So you have this terrible... Uh, job ad like I don't know about you guys but every time I've applied for a job every job I apply for specifically goes out of the way to put um, we do not discriminate based on race based on gender based on uh, nationality or sexual orientation we are an equal opportunity employer like literally every job goes out of the way to say equal opportunity employer even if they're not they at least want to pretend that they are. And for this company to give the okay to say preferably Caucasian in their job listing, like who fucked up? A lot of people have a fucked up. If you just are okay with someone representing your company, someone recruiting for your company, going out there and saying uh, preferably Caucasian. Like, that's terrible. Like, how do you mess that up in a world where everybody is trying to promote being inclusive and being accepting, being understanding? We want everybody to apply. We're not necessarily going to hire you, but at least we're going to pretend that we care. But these folks are like, we don't care. And we want y'all to know that we don't care. Uh, we only want white people. So Negroes need not apply. So speaking of Negroes need not apply, 
I read about a story and I looked into it for this uh, rape case that really had me bothered. It happened uh, almost three years ago now. Uh, September 10th is when it started, 2016, in Lawrence, Kansas. And it, it starts with this black man, Albert Wilson. He goes to a bar, meets uh, this white woman, and she alleges that he rapes her later on in the night. He alleges that he did not. And the entire situation is really, really fucked up. So I'm going to start with uh, some of the facts just to bring you guys up to speed in case you are unfamiliar with this case. So um, he's 21 years old at the time of this incident. And he goes to this bar uh, known as The Hawk. It's supposed to be a 21 and up bar. And she, at the time, is 17. She gets into the bar, but she's not carted. Uh, this is uh, near a school campus. Uh, so he's at the bar. He meets this girl while he's at the bar. She pulls his arm and they go to the dance floor. While they're on the dance floor, they're kissing. They're, you know, making out. Uh, like he, like, grabbed her ass or whatever. Like, he, like, lifts up her skirt or something, like, while they're on the dance floor. And... um. He tells her that he doesn't live far away from the bar. And so it's like, okay, cool. So they walk from the bar to his home, which is roughly five minutes away, according to Google Maps. They're there. And about 15 minutes later, they return to the bar. So if it takes about five minutes to walk there, five minutes to walk back, that leaves him and her about five minutes to be in his home. So they walk back to the bar together, but they're not holding hands. When they left the bar going to his house, they're holding hands. They walk back, they're not holding hands. But, like, they're fully clothed, and um, she claimed that she was stumbling, but they have video surveillance that show that she's actually not stumbling. So the next day, she goes to the hospital, um, and they have, like, not like a rape kit because there wasn't, like, an accusation of rape yet. But they do, like, you know, DNA testing or whatever, swabbing type stuff. And so it shows that there was some of his DNA on her chest. And there was not any of his DNA basically anywhere else. Um, like, sexually speaking, at least. So uh, he said that he kissed her, like, on her, on her chest, like, you know, while they're making out and stuff. And he claims that while he was at his house, um, like his friend that he'd gone to the bar with, they contacted him and he needed to see what was up with his friend, like, like why his friend seemed bothered or whatever. Uh, she claims that while they're at his house, that he held her down and raped her. So the, the issue is that there's not really evidence that he had sex with her at all which is what his defense was. He's like, I didn't actually have sex with her at all. And when I look at these facts, um, when I look at this case, the first thing that comes to my mind is in a five minute window, 
Like, do you have time to to overpower this woman, possibly, as believable, to at least partially come out of your clothes and come out of hers, and then do the deed, and then get back dressed and get her back dressed. And I just find it hard to believe that he was able to do that within a five-minute window. Um, I mean, maybe if he's like, a minute man or whatever, like it's possible, but I, I feel like it's a, a stretch for him to go straight to, uh, I'm just going to rape this girl. Um, because chances are what's more plausible to me is that he would be like, come on, like, please, you know, like, come on. It's not going to be that bad. You know, just do it kind of thing. We try to like badger her and coerce her a little bit. I could see that. But if he takes the time to do that, then he doesn't really have that much time left to do the actual, okay, so you're not going to let me fuck, so I'm going to rape you instead. But no, like, we have the distance that it takes, you know, the distance between the bar and this house. So we know the time period, like, we know the time frame. He leaves the bar at 12.15 at uh, a.m. He returns to the bar at 12.30 a.m. And it takes about five minutes to get from there to his home. So in a five minute period, it's just hard to believe that he did all this and still walked back with her. So the, the issue that I had with the, the court proceedings is that he's a black man and the jury is all white. Like there's not a black person on the jury. Like that's a problem in and of itself. And then the jury is three-fourths women. So it's not half and half. It's three-fourths women. Like, what are the odds that you, a black man, would be perceived to be innocent in the eyes of a white woman when you're accused of raping a white woman? Like, there's no way you have any chance of winning. Like, from the beginning, you have no chance. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. You're not going to be able to convince uh, a jury that's mostly white women that you're innocent. And he doesn't have a very strong defense, although I think it's plausible. I think it's more than likely that he did not have sex with her, but he doesn't have a very strong defense. And it's not strong enough, at least. So now that we had a chance to look at some of the facts I want to speak about some of the things that I felt very strongly about this case and why it bothered me so much. Like one, I did not like the jury set up. Uh, I didn't feel like that was even remotely fair. Like he has no chance at all. But second, I feel that um, there's this huge difficulty when it comes to trying sex sexual cases. The law and the, the justice system is biased towards women. And it, in our current cultural climate, when we have this Me Too thing going on everywhere, the accusation is often enough to be damning for a man. And it, when you don't have the resources that someone like R. Kelly had um, to fight these type of cases, um, to, 
you know, do this type of litigation, build in court day in and day out. When you don't have these kind of resources, it, there's no, almost no way you can fight back, really. Like, you're, you're basically done with from the very beginning. Another one of the issues, though, is proving consent. And in this particular case, he's claiming that he didn't have sex with her. And there's not enough evidence to support that he did or did not. Like, there's no evidence that he did, but there's not ev- evidence that he didn't either. And that's what makes it kind of weird because I don't know all the scientific jargon. I don't really know all you would need to prove that you did not have sex with somebody. Um, because they like, did, did kiss, like he did touch her. Um, so there was like some type of physical contact, but his claim that he didn't have sex, like I'm inclined to believe him, but it's somewhat of a, uh, a gray area. And that's what makes it kind of awkward. It's like, well, like which one happened? And it's literally her word versus his word. And in that scenario, he's not going to win. It's just not going to happen. I hate that for him, but that's the unfortunate truth of the matter. So um, speaking to black parents right now, when you have a child, particularly a black man, and you send him out into the world to get his education, get his first job or whatever the case may be, he needs to be equipped. He needs to understand that the world that we want to live in is not the world that we actually live in. And it's unfortunate because it's in this space that people lean on stereotypes. We don't have the time to get to know every person as an individual. So we have to make snap judgments. We have to make quick decisions and Oftentimes, when negative stereotypes abound, uh, certain groups are hurt much more than others. But I feel that if you have a child and he goes out there, he needs to understand that white people are out to get him. And I want to make it clear, I'm not talking about all white people. I'm not even talking about most white people. But the problem is that if I don't know you on a personal level, if we haven't spent hours together living life I don't know there's like there's no way for me to distinguish a person that happens to be white that's willing to be my friend versus a person who happens to be white that's more than willing to throw me under the bus at the very least like we're not even going to get to the people who are actively out to destroy black people and so I believe in this scenario she was not actively out to destroy black people, but she's more than willing to throw him under the bus. Because what more than likely happened, given that after she went to the hospital, it was about a month later that the rape case uh, began. Like the charges weren't filed until like a month later. So what more than likely happened is that her parents got wind of what happened. And it's just like, no. So when I first started dating and I was like, oh, I met this girl. I think she's nice. She's pretty. She's smart. I like her. My dad always said, like, what do you know about her? What do you know about her parents? And 
the significance of knowing about her parents didn't dawn on me until much later in my dating life because she might be cool with me, but her parents might not be. And that's something that is difficult as a black man to really understand, especially when you're trying to date white women in any capacity, that even if she's cool with you, if her parents are not, at the end of the day, she owes her life, her upbringing, her livelihood is from her parents. And so if it's between her parents and you, she's going to pick her parents. You know, if it's between her parents and her, her grandparents, and her brothers, her uncles, her cousins, her aunts, and all of them, like she's going to lean towards them and not you. And it's in this type of situation that Albert Wilson found himself. Like, this woman, she might have been having fun with him or whatever, but she's more than willing to throw him under the bus to preserve her family name, to keep her parents proud, her grandparents proud. And that's the hard part. We've made progress since the days of Emmett Till. Like, once upon a time, you couldn't even whistle at a white woman. Like, that was your ass. That, that was it. You couldn't do it. Nowadays, I can go to Memphis or I can go to like New York or someplace like that, and I can get a white woman if I want to. But make no mistake, there are still way more places where I just cannot go and talk to a white woman in, in this type of capacity. You just can't do it. And we want to live in a world where we can get a white woman from anywhere, but we don't live in that world yet. And it's unfortunate that Albert Wilson didn't know that when he went out there and started fucking around with this girl. Now, her being under the influence, her being underage, those are issues that he needs to address too. That's a totally different discussion. The, the problem is that his parents let him out without giving him the proper knowledge that he needed to navigate the situation. Because the fact that she's underage and she's drunk um, should have been red flags before we even get to the fact that she's white. But that's, that's a whole other topic. So when I talk to, to white people about this type of scenario, the, the issue is always that, like, as a black person, unless I know you on a personal level, I can't differentiate. And I have to assume that you're willing to throw me under the bus to protect your pride, to protect your, your group, your family, whatever the case is. I just had to make that assumption. And I, I hate that Albert Wilson was basically unaware of how the world actually is. And he made decision based on the world that he wanted to be in. So uh, it's a, a tough situation and he's, he got 12 years, and that's a long time. Uh, hopefully somebody finds out about his case and decides to say something, to do something. Because I, I, I can't, like, I don't believe that he raped that girl. I don't believe he even fucked her. Now, if it comes out that there's some irrefutable evidence that, hey, he actually did rape her, then, yeah, he got what he deserved. But I don't believe that he did, and I hate this for him. I hate this for his family. Like... I wonder the conversation that his parents are having, like, 
what could we have done to prevent this from happening? And chances are just a little bit of information, a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of wisdom, and the situation would not have happened. And I, I hate it very much. Um, it, it's, it's a reminder that um, there are particular people out there that in the process of being protective over their family, they don't want us fucking with them, period. And I can say that because in, in my own personal life, like I've been with a white woman and to her dad, I was the goddamn nigger. And it, it hurts to um, have these feelings for this woman, to want to spend so much time with this woman, but for her parents to hate me simply because I was black. Like, it's not because like I, I wasn't mistreating her. Like it wasn't that I couldn't provide for her. It, it wasn't that I wasn't being nice to her. I wasn't being present. It's no, it's just because you're black that we don't want you with our daughter. And it, it's a hard lesson to, to learn. You know, it's, it's a reminder that, while the world has progressed, it is nowhere near where we want it to be. It is nowhere where it ought to be. We had to navigate the world the way it is. And that's just the honest truth about it. Uh, thank you for listening to my rant. Uh, I guess I'll uh, catch y'all guys later.